Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? Forgive me for running off the fine and the one thing I have to do Hello, welcome again to the Watch Up Emo Podcast, episode 44. Uh, this episode is with Todd Bell from Braid and Hay Mercedes. Fantastic chat. We hung out in Bushwick, Brooklyn not too long ago and uh, had a really good chat. And um, So I've got most of Braid done. I just have to get the drummer done. And then we got the, the whole band. So thank you to Epitaph Records, our sponsor here, Epitaph.com. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of Watch Up Emo. And uh, we look forward to many, many more. So Epitaph Records, thanks for being the sponsor of Wash Up Emo. All right. So enjoy. Todd is ready to tell you about his crazy record collection. Well, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Are, are you recording? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, thanks. Thanks for doing it. So you're here in New York, and I heard that uh, you, you have a crazy record collection. I want to kind of hear about your yeah. collection. Yeah, well, I, not anymore. I mean, when I moved to Milwaukee, which was for Hey Mercedes, uh, 15 years ago, I got rid of a lot of stuff. But I talked to my friends, and they helped me collect things, and I find, you know, now it's to the point where the things that I want are kind of hard to find. Yeah. So I actually didn't have a very successful couple days here, because <laughs> everything that I find is like, oh, this is really great, but I have it, or... It would be a copy that I would upgrade or something like that. So my wheelhouse for my want list now is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's a fun hobby. It gives me something to do when we're in other towns and other cities and touring. It's like an extra little fun thing to do. Yeah. I'm, I, I, it's under 3000 right now, so it's movable. Yes. And and every year I purge a little bit. I'll, like we have a – there's a sale in Milwaukee coming up. There's like – it's called uh, Record Ruckus or something, mm-hmm. where you can rent a table and sell stuff. So I've been going through and pulling stuff that I just don't listen to to sell, so I can have a little bit of money to turn around to buy some of those bigger ticket items. The ones that you, you want. Know, so yeah. it's fun. It's fun. It gives me something to do. Do you I'm do that sorry. in every city for the most I, part? I do, yeah. I try to at least hit like one or two stores in every city. I've been to most of the places, so it's cool here because... Every place that I went to over the weekend, I'd been to except one store, Human Head, which is close to the venue today, 
over here in Bushwick, and it's new. And I talked to the owner, and he's from West Bend, Wisconsin. No way! Yeah, it's crazy. Because <laughs> he saw my Milwaukee shirt, and he's like, it's hard to read. And he's like, what? what is your shirt all about? And I was like, oh, this is... Uh, my friend owns a bar, actually, BJ from Camden, and he was in Decibly. Mm-hmm. He has a bar in Milwaukee, and I, I have a shirt on, because um, I went there, and they were screening shirts for like 10 bucks or whatever. And and I had this Milwaukee shirt, and he's like, oh, oh, cool. He's like, I'm from West Bend. I'm like, no way. <laughs> like, small, total small world. And Running a record store in Bushwick. In Bushwick, yep. <laughs> and the more, I, I know Midwest people are everywhere, especially Wisconsinites and people from Illinois. You know, and I have a connection with that because those are the two states that I lived in most of my life. You know, but I'm always running into somebody that either has family in that area or has lived there for a while or wants to go back there or is from there. Mm -hmm. Just really interesting. That's cool. Just makes the world real small. Yeah. So it's cool. And then, uh, do you remember the first record you got? Ever? Yeah. I, I don't remember the first vinyl record that I had. But I do, I, I, my dad had a, a record collection, and my brother and I were into it all the time, and I remember listening to a lot of Beach Boys, Johnny Cash, Country Music, Charlie Pride, uh, Charlie Daniels Band, um, and then a lot of Floyd Kramer and instrumental stuff like that. But the first thing that I actually remember physically owning on my own was a KTEL cassette that we ordered off the TV. <laughs> It was a comp called Radioactive, and and since what year then, was that? 80s, 80s, mid 80s, yeah, early mid 80s. Um, and it had Hollow Notes, Blondie, The Commodores, um, uh, just a ton of Moody Blues, like a ton of stuff on it. It's just like a really weird mix of current radio rock at the time, and that's the first thing that I, I remember getting what into. What was it? How much was it? I don't know. It was like. I have no idea. For the TV I don't even yeah. remember. I have no idea. I'm sure it was like probably 15 like, bucks. Probably like $9.99 plus shipping or something yeah. like that. I, who knows? It could have been cheaper. I don't remember. Off the TV. Off the television. And that's when we used to like, when there would be a song on the radio that we liked, we would tape it with yeah. our, our recorder, you know? I don't know. We were just kids, you know? We didn't have any other resources. My parents didn't really go to, like, I think their music collection that they had by the time we were born, they stopped buying music, so they mm-hmm. just had kind of what they grew up on and what they had. I don't ever remember going to a record store with my parents. You know, that came way later when I got into music. Actually, Chris and I, Chris Broach and I have kind of a similar background where we were exposed to music through skateboarding. I grew up being a fan of BMX prior to skateboarding. So I raced BMX, I got into freestyle and street bike riding, and then I moved to Champaign because my dad uh, retired Air Force. 20 years, 21 years. So he retired. So we moved back to be close to family mm-hmm. where my mom, uh, her parents are still living. So where they are, they are, but also nearby a functional Air Force base. So my dad can take the benefits from that. Yeah. You know, go see the, the base doctor and all that because it's dirt cheap. But that base ended up closing a couple years after we were there, and we were already there, and you know we were starting to make a life for ourselves, and I was already in school. My brother had just graduated. I have an older brother that's like two and a half years older than I am. And then, But when we moved to that town, no one rode BMX. Oh, I used to do that, but we all skateboard now. And I was like, oh, I got a skateboard. you know. So I started skating with these guys, the neighborhood kids, and 
I got good really fast because everybody was way better than I was. And I skated. I still skate. I have a, we have got a crew that goes every Sunday to the local park. We got a 9 a.m. Sunday old man session. It's like me and Dan from Promise Ring and our friend Jeremy and a couple of You've got to videotape that one day. We actually actually Instagram some of our oh, like little clips. It. Yeah, it's kind of fun. We call it the Brittle Bones Brigade. That is awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, we're just like, it's social. It's more social than it is like getting rad, you know, because we all, you know, the last thing that Dan, Dan's still playing in Maritime and last thing we want to do is break a wrist yeah do something stupid you know everybody's got kids we go early in the morning before the rippers show up and something fun to do i haven't been for a couple weeks because we've been out of town so much do the younger kids ever show up and be like wait is that the guy they have no idea oh they have no idea. yeah we're so beyond that there's such a big gap (laughs) with the kids that are going to that park with who we are and it's like any scene where no one cares because we're kind of local guys yeah no one cares yeah you know so, but, but anyway, was music when you were getting into the BMX or even skating? Was was it the Thrasher magazine? Was it was yeah. was music starting to sort of yeah. infiltrate, or was BMX and skate first? It it was it was until when I got to Champagne, and then we'd be listening to a boombox while we were skating out in the street, and then it was all about trading tapes. Then people gave me tapes, and that was my first introductory to punk rock. And that before that, it was. Top 40, you know, and stuff that my parents had. And, you know, some radio rock and things like that. And some metal, because my, my brother was older than I was, and he was kind of a metalhead. So I was familiar with, you know, some classic rock. But I was a huge turnoff to classic rock because I did not like school. I hated high school. <laughs> and all of the people that listened to Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and all those bands, I did not get get on with those guys. So I kind of had a adversity to that. Like I didn't I didn't actually give Zeppelin a chance until I was in my early 20s because I didn't want anything to do with them because to me that represented this section of people that I just didn't get on with. The skaters and the and the dirt bags and the grits and the smokers and all that. It wasn't a good thing. You know, it's like high school shit, it's stupid, but um so when I moved to, before that even, when I moved to Champaign, I was like 15, 16 years old, and that's when I got into punk rock. Um, you know, Bad Brains. Uh, I heard Embrace before I heard Minor Threat. I heard Firehose before I heard uh, The Minutemen. Wow. Um, you know, it's like a little bit of, you do your homework. You find something you like, and you go back, and you do that homework, and you find the bands that you love. And then a year or two later, I was old enough. I, mean, I, I found the, the All Ages Network. And I met a couple of people that were going to shows. And that's when I started going to shows. And I saw, you know, there's a great venue that's actually still functional in a different form in Champaign called The Blind Pig. But seeing... Definitely heard of that name. Yeah, seeing... There's one in Ann Arbor, too, but they're not connected. Got it. Um, I saw Seaweed. I saw, you know, Jawbox. I saw, you know, a lot of SST bands, Leaving Trains, Tar Babies... Like, that whole scene was really big for me because they're the ones that had the mail-order catalogs. You know, SST, Homestead, Cruise Records, New Alliance, uh, Descendants were a huge influence on me growing up skate- skating. Dinosaur Jr. is still one of my all-time favorite nice. bands. I so, saw Jay Maskus bring his kid into some uh, show at the Beacon in theater. It was like some kid show. It was like the funniest kind of like, yeah. that's kind of cool. I guess that makes sense. He's really amazing. I mean, <laughs> and, and he's kind of connected to... Uh, Mike Watt and that whole crew and he's definitely a huge 
influence on me, not playing-wise, but, like, his lifestyle. Because he's just so... He, like, he represents to me... He's, like, my hero. He's, like, my rock, rock and roll hero because he's just in a van being awesome, you know, just doing his thing. It's really cool. So I actually, when I moved to Milwaukee, I drove down several times to Champaign to see shows. I saw Queens of the Stone Age on their, on their first big U.S. tour in a venue that holds like 300 people. <laughs> and then they went to OzFest that year. And I was like, God, I'm glad I went to see them. And then uh, The Fog did a tour where it was Jay Maskus, Watt, and Murph. And uh, they were doing like a half set of um, Stooges stuff. And that's how Mike Watt got to play in the Stooges and all that stuff. Actually, that Mark Maron just did a podcast with him. Did you listen to it? I haven't. It's oh, amazing. You to have to, to listen to it. The guy is just crazy. But... Um, yeah, so that was like my whole introductory to punk rock through skateboarding. And then through skateboarding, I met Roy, Roy Ewing. Um, and then we started a band together. And then Bob started uh, corresponding with Roy through letters and trading tapes, uh, videotapes of bands. And then Bob moved to Champaign-Urbana to go to the U of I. And then I met him. And then Roy and him wanted to start a band that would become Braid. And then they needed a bass player. I went in, we played together, it clicked, and that's kind of how Braid was born. I mean, it was like 93. That's crazy. Yeah. Just the, I mean, and the, I think the longevity too, we're getting sort of ahead, but I still think it's just crazy to think from 93 through, it's been pretty much the core group. Yeah. That's pretty rare. Some other Wikipedia pages you go to, the past members is, you know, 10 deep. And not that there's anything wrong with that. No. I mean, I, I, a great example of that would be Saves the Day. Yeah! Still very much an amazing band. They kill it. Every time I see them play, I was like, how do they do 30 songs a night? I know. And why did, why are they still good? And they go back to the back catalog. They play all that stuff. And I don't know. We've just been the same. I, I always say that we're just four dudes on a couch. Because you see all those old promo photos of people sitting on like couches. And like, we're just four dudes on a couch. We're regular guys. We, we were never, you know... I don't know, we never had a look. We were just Midwest dudes that just looked the way we did and liked to play shows and loved to travel. And you What know. were those first few, like, 93, 94? That was definitely before this sort of scene, sort of, I mean, 96 up kind of took another another beat, mm-hmm. especially in the Midwest and with polyvinyl or, you know, if it was crank, all that stuff. What, what were you sensing when you were playing shows? Did you feel this this like type of punk rock there was getting defi- somewhere there was definitely a network of things happening there always is and I know there is today I'm just disconnected from it I know that there's basement shows in Milwaukee I know I've heard of them I know bands that play them I just don't really go to them and people that complain about their scene just don't aren't doing their homework there's always something happening yeah and back then it was happening and we were in it and we knew of it and we did shows and we brought you know, you meet somebody from going out of town and be like, hey, awesome, when we come there, can you help us get a show? So we'd go down to the VFW and get a couple friends to help us flyer and just do a show. And that whole thing, I mean, I think our first real tour where we went out for like two weeks or 19 days or something was probably in early 95. Um, but we were doing like a weekend or like a couple days away. We just didn't know enough. But the first Braid tour was booked on a handful of phone numbers from the last Friction tour. 
from the context that Bob had. Did everyone and hear that? We, a handful of phone numbers. Right, right. So we, so I had, I had those numbers. I'd cold call these people and be like, hey, my name's Todd. I'm in a band with Bob. You did a show for his old band, Friction, blah, blah, blah. Can you help us book a show? Going on tour, not knowing how much money you're going to make, you save up a little bit of cash to go on tour because you don't know. It's a break-even venture if you're lucky, you know, and you just go out to have fun. And I think from the get-go, we are all very much on the same page that, hey, this is an awesome, awesome opportunity and vehicle for us to travel. <laughs> and we're still like that. Like, we just were able to go to Japan again. We're like, we got to make this happen. We don't know when we're going to get to go there again. And Bob's a, a, a big ringleader in that. He just wants to cross off things off his list that he's never been to before. And we all enjoy playing together still. I mean, we all have careers and jobs now and other things going on. But this is still very much a priority because it's so fun. And we get on together and we have fun and it's fun to play and people still care and come out and it's crazy. We, I can't believe it. It's been that long. Yeah. You know, I mean, what's neat. Was that lull from what '04 to most recently with the release? That I feel like every band sort of does that. You break up, you've got the marriages, you got the kids, you get, yeah. and then you guys are sitting there. You're somehow on the ninth hour of some Netflix binge, and you're all like, "We should probably do this again." Yeah, and everyone kind of came to that point again, or at least is able to. It's not like someone moved to Singapore or whatever right. it is and unable to to do something. Yeah, and we've always been spread out. I mean, Braid. Since, I mean, since Roy left the band and Damon joined, 96-ish, that Damon was in Milwaukee, and, and we were all still in Champagne, and then Bob ended up moving to Chicago, I think, at some point. So we've always been kind of spread out, mm -hmm. and right now we're in three different cities. So for us to even get here, we flew in. I flew from Milwaukee, Chris and Bob flew from Chicago, and Damon flew from Nashville. <laughs> so we kind, of, we kind of do our own homework, we build a set, we figure out what we want to do, everybody practices on their own. We come in, we sound check. Hey, I'm a little iffy on this song. Let's run through that one. And then we just do it. But then again, we're lucky because a lot of these songs that we're playing are, are older. And we know them. We played them so much that it's old hat. Really. Yeah. It's old hat for us. I think too early on, well, the way I sort of heard about you guys was definitely college radio, getting the record or something. But also, every comp or 7-inch or split 7-inch yep. yep. or label. It, it, I was trying to think, like, you guys were almost... I don't know what the term is, but you were almost uh, getting out there through these split set matches, and you would show up all over the place. And that's that was very conscious because we knew that that's how you networked. You got on somebody else's comp, you did a split seven inch with a, another band that you enjoyed that was, you know, that you were friends with or you had a similar style of, and then everything was about a little ad in a magazine, a, a, a review in Heart Attack, or your friend doing a piece on you on, on your zine, in their zine, or, you know, having a decent review in, like, a publication that was getting around, or doing a comp. And, you know, early on, we put, we want to be on your comp in one of our records, and people would just, we had a P.O., our P.O. box was listed in there, so, and, so people would, it eventually became, came to email, where people would email and, and say, hey, I'm doing this comp, blah, 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 and we got to the point now where we had to start saying no, because the comp was a bunch of crap, or they didn't know what they were doing, and people just wanted a band, because we were starting to get a little notoriety. They want braid they on, right. on the comp, because that would help them, you know, get it out, or whatever, but we did a lot, and I, I think I have everything. <laughs> you think? Because we, I think I have everything that we were on, on, on vinyl that was put out, and on CD, 
but I'm, I'm not sure. I'd have to sit down, but yeah. And then the other meticulous thing I love is the shows. Yeah, Bob was really good about that early on. I'm terrible with that stuff. I can remember most of it. I was we were, I was talking to Chris on the way it was here or on the way back from Japan um, on the flight that I don't when thinking back to those days and those shows I don't remember playing the shows I remember the city and where we stayed and hanging out with certain people and after the show but I don't really ever remember like the actual show How so when I I don't know why I don't know why I guess that's like memories of like wow I really hit that that, that nah, D no, 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 it's no. all after we saw this yep. person we went to this yep. for sushi yep. and then that yep. was it yeah interesting that cool that's weird to me but it's just what I remember. that'd be a really funny book is a tour a, a, a band touring without any music yeah it's all yeah. about and that I think sort of that, friendship. And that also and... kind of connects to why we kind of were doing it then, to travel, to see our friends, to meet new people, to go places, and I don't know. It's, it's weird. Did you guys read some secret book or something before you started the band? Like, everything no. seemed to be... It, yes, you've probably made mistakes over the years or things, but to, but to have Bob sit there and be like, I'm going to write down every show, or I'm going to make sure we do this. It just... I, there's, like, you guys definitely thought... I think it. I think everything like that we did. First of all, we were relentless with touring and just we're we're, we're we wanted to do it all the time, mm -hmm. and we were so into it, and that was our focus. And I think once we got together and we realized we were a band that wanted to play shows, we actually had a conversation where we sat down and said, "All right, is everybody into this 110%? Because if we're going to do this, we want to do it to where." You know, we get out there and we give it our all. We didn't want to do it half-ass, and I feel that that's still a very important mainstay in our band is that we don't just get together to play a show to fuck around. We're here to deliver and be the best band that we can be right now. You know, no one's getting, you know, one too many beers before we play, and, you know, we're, we're here to, like, we're not, we're not phoning it in. You know, we've been a band for 20 years, and we still want to put on a good show, you know? So... How has your audience changed? Have you noticed? I mean... <laughs> a few more gray hairs? Yeah, yeah. On us and on everybody else, and, you know, we still see... When we were in England a year or two, two years ago, uh, we went up to Scotland and played some places that we haven't played in 15 years, and there was a couple guys there like, Oh, is that your... I was at the show when you guys were here, blah, blah, blah. And it's cool because you get those people that probably, that was probably one of the last few shows that they went to ever. And then they kind of melded into society and got jobs, families, et cetera, like yep. everybody does and moves on with their life. And then they see the, band, the, the, the name pop up again and be like, oh my God, that's nostalgic for them and they want to come back. So you have that, those guys, which are fewer, fewer and further between, because I even think about that. It takes a lot to get me out of the house because I'm busy too. I was I call it babysitter core. Totally, you have to get that done. But what I've found that helps me um, is what I have to do now, and I was just talking to Damon about this today, is what I have to do, even though I know the band and even though I can get on the guest list, I'll buy a ticket in advance and pay the 20 bucks because that's what's going to make me go. Because if I had to decide the night of the show... Every night at 9 or 9.30, if I was going to a show, every time it would be no. Because I'm too tired. Got something else And going I just on. got the kids to bed. But I can you watch. bought the ticket. But now I gotta go. Now I gotta go. And actually, when I get home tomorrow, I'll be home tomorrow late afternoon on a Monday. An hour later, my family will 
my, my wife will be home from work and my kids will be home and I'll have to deal with getting them dinner and getting them to bed. But tomorrow night is Mets in, in uh, Milwaukee and I was like, I gotta see them. Nice. I gotta see them. So I bought a ticket in advance. <laughs> so I have to go to a show tomorrow. I'm gonna be tired. But... <laughs> I'm doing that Tuesday for wham, wham. Appleseed Cast. I bought a ticket. I don't care. Yep. I don't want to like wait. Go. I don't want to wait. Exactly. It makes you go. Gotta go. Um, I think too that what's changed too is how many things online you guys have had to do. Before it wasn't that. Yeah. How is that? Have has each person sort of taken a role with the online duties because that's that's networking now to the yeah, nth degree. I think I think we all do that and we all have our individual profiles that we post stuff on and everybody has other things going on. I have like a, a crew of record dudes that we have an Instagram hashtag that we share, <laughs> and then uh, you know Chris has got he's working on his studio and he's working on some new uh, music stuff on or his other projects. And Damon's super busy; he's still in the industry. Totally. Bob's still very busy, and you know he's got you know all of his side projects going, sitting on film. Jack and Ace; he's got Braid. You know he's writing. You know he's going through those covers from you know his top 100 from whatever 15 years ago mm-hmm. and i think we're all just really excited about doing the things that we love and we want to tell people about them so whether it's us playing a show and advertising that or talking about that or be oh my god we haven't played with the get up kids in years we got a couple shows coming up with those guys we're talk we're even though we're we're not as close to those guys i mean when we get together it's like old times but it's not like we see those guys ever yeah I haven't seen Matt in at least five years I haven't seen Jim in probably ten but social media and Facebook and all that we're like talking about we're so excited to see you guys and hang out I can't wait you know that with those crew those those crew of dudes and, and those bands that you played with back then I, I think that there's definitely a, a camaraderie and a friendship that it's hard to break and if they're still around and you're still around and you get back together it's so fun it's just so cool like because of music i've met some of the closest friends i've ever had and i can travel in any city practically all over the world and make a couple phone calls and get a free meal and a place to stay you know and who, who can really say that it's just a different like because of this universal connection that you have through something like music, it allows you to sleep on someone's couch and get by. And, you know, those friendships are, like, deep. It's cool. And that, I mean, that goes back to that initial thing. That's what you guys, that's what, that's what the goal was. Right. Right. So the music, yeah. music was the and, medium and, to meet people. Right. And, and some of those, those people that come to the, sh- the shows, I mean, they're a fan. They're a fan of Braid as much of the music as they are as, of us as people. You know, some people, it's like they... They understand our our, our work um, aesthetic and our, our, our motivation to play and still to write and create music with us four guys and to go play and travel. And I think to people that really, really know us, that's equally as appealing as the songs that we write. Like they like that about us, that we're just kind of crazy and just, you know. And we're the guys that are hanging out after the shows and going to the bars and having drinks and meeting people and being social and and hanging out and we're not like retreating to our dressing room and hiding out back there because we got to get up early and drive to the next show yeah. you know like we're going to hang out because at this point in our lives we understand that this is a, a you know it's just we're lucky to be at this stage and be able to play shows and hang out and we appreciate that you know so no, you, we're lucky yeah and I'd love to talk about Hey Mercedes 
Um, that band, over the four years that I've done the Emo Night and definitely in the city and also the, the site itself, that always gets brought up as just like a favorite band or... Yeah, that's I mean, cool. And as a side project, I just... Well, can you talk a little bit about that? I just loved how melodic but also heavy it was at the same time. Yeah, we... When, you know, when Braid initially broke up, um, I was... I was in Chicago that fall playing with Bob. He had just created the city on film. Him and his friend Brian, they're just a two-piece, guitar mm-hmm. and drummer. And I was like, I'll come up and play bass with you. And I slept on his couch in Chicago, you know, for a weekend or whatever and learned the songs. We played a, a crappy short tour. I remember we played Rhinos in Bloomington, Indiana, and like a handful of other shows. And then it's funny because that's about the time that that band was created. And it's still functioning, too. It's, it's Bob's deal, and he gets people in it. But I, I was obviously back at the record store, you know, still wanting to play, and we kind of talked about it, and Damon and, and Bob and I got together as a three-piece and started writing songs in Bob's basement where Braid used to practice at his mom's house in Lombard, Illinois. And we wrote like five or six songs as a three-piece, and then we're like, all right, what do we want to do? You know, and we started talking about getting another guy. Are we gonna get? Are we gonna go this route? Do we want a girl singer? Is Bob gonna be the primary singer? Are we gonna get somebody else? And then we auditioned a handful of people, and we got this guy from Milwaukee named Mark, and we just we became a band, and it was we clicked, and we just kind of fell back into what we know, which is a four-piece rock band, and that's when I moved to Milwaukee because Mark was from Milwaukee. Damon was already living in Milwaukee, and Bob was in Chicago, I was in Champaign. So if I went to Milwaukee, that put three of us there, P.O. Box, practice space, and we can go. Good to go. We can go. So Mark and I lived together, and that was like our our thing, and then we just toured, and it just became a band. It's just weird. Like, it wasn't really super conscious with any project. You know, you just become a band, and next thing you know, well, what's the next steps? Well, we should put out some music. And, you know, we talked to a couple labels, and Polyvinyl's like, yeah, dude, let's do it. So we did the EP through that, and the rest is kind of history. We just kind of played a lot. And I mean, that Two Meet World Tour was awesome. Yeah, it was great. And that we that was... packed shows. That was, that was, <laughs> it's kind of crazy, because uh, Hey Mercedes, we, we, did a, we did a tour where Dashboard opened, and we watched that unfold. We watched him become, like, big. And then we were out with Jimmy World, and we watched that unfold, too. That was unreal. And then on the Vagrant Tour, all of those bands were blowing up. Get Up Kids Saves a Day, Alkaline Trio, Hey Mercedes, Hot Rod, and Anniversary, maybe, yeah, was on part of that. Yeah. And it was like, we were watching, and it was, it was a great time to be involved in that scene at the time. Because we're just like, we're like the new band, even though Braid, we, were older. we came from Braid. Yeah, and we were older guys. We were just like, wow, this is really crazy watching this happen. And that's... That's when, I mean, no one up until that point in our scene got big. Had broken through, yeah. Had broken through, and it was all happening, and we saw it all. I remember the, uh, I've told this story a couple times, but the A&R guy at the label I was working for handed me Bleed American as a demo. And he's like, hey, I got this in the mail. I know you're a big fan. Here, check it out. I mean, this was the demo that the band had sent around to the labels that no one signed. And I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. And... Obviously, I mean, I did feel, but I, I was already loved the band. But just that moment, that time, I think that tour, when you guys were with them, mm-hmm. things were popping off. You're right, Dashboard, the Vagrant Across America with tour buses. Yeah. Uh, being connected to that scene and that, that word, emo, what are your thoughts now? What were your thoughts then? Like, were, Was there any, 
you know, Davey from the Problem Strings got his own thoughts about it. Dan, you know, certain bands always have this sort of feeling. What, what were your thoughts being connected to that name or that scene? To me, I mean, when I think about it, we embraced it because we were, it was finally a name for something that we identified with and all of our friends identified with. And it wasn't a, a negative thing. It was more like a description of what music we were playing. It's like, oh, we're, we're, we're just an emo band. But before that, to me, like emo to me, I mean, we were we were doing we it was like, like a side branch of hardcore, really. You know, like we all liked stuff that was a little heavy, but we had all these other outside influences. Huge part of that being part of the Chicago scene and the Discord DC area scene, which there's bands in both of those places that we all love. But before that. It was the screamo part was huge too. To me, emo, emo, we even though it became what we did, which is part of that second wave, and then it became something completely different. To me, at that point, emo was Lincoln, Frail, Policy of Three, Julia, um, all of those bands that was like is more barking and you know flailing around and just doing something really unique. The, the seven inches that you could buy for $2 out of a fanzine was usually an emo band. The Resurrection label, River's End, um, all of these super tiny labels that had like one or two releases and then they disappeared. Uh, there's a band called Christopher Robin, you know, Indian Summer, Current from Detroit. All of these bands that were in part of this network, when we would go and play a fest, these are the bands that were playing. Jim Atkins said the same stuff. And, and that, that to is, me that, was emo. That's where you. That's it was hardcore, post-hardcore, screamo, yeah. emo. And then it kind of became this new thing too, where then it was, you know, the Chicago style stuff with with the braid was associated mm-hmm. with, and then there was like the more shoegazier, mellow stuff like the Minerals and the Christie Front Drives, and then there was the more hardcore influenced emoish Florida scene, Twelve Hour Turn, Hot Water. Yep. Like all that, and then there was an East Coast scene, you know, with that handful of bands, and then, you know, there was deviations of that with, you know, West Coast. Yeah, and it's just crazy. And then, but it was all kind of the same. And you're all pals, and then you meet each other on tour. And all those bands that were functioning at that time were touring at that time or putting on shows. And even though, you know, you didn't know them, you got to know them because you're going to play a band, you're going to play with them or. You know, and it again it be, goes beyond the music because it was like this network of people that were doing shows, and I mean you could tell those shows that were put together hardcore, indie rock, acoustic, and screamo, and you realized all of them were friends and they put on the show, but it 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 felt connected, it felt right, right. Where you'd have like a guy, you'd have Tom Lamaccio, the Deadwood Divine guy. Do you remember mm-hmm. him? No, actually, I don't. It was like him. He was like an acoustic, like kind of just really. You know, uh, where was he from? East Coast. East Coast somewhere. somewhere. I'll look him up. He was. He's like, he was on a lot of shows, and that was considered emo. And then you got the bands that were doing, like, you know, total mathy time change rhythmic, (laughs) groovy kind of stuff, like we were doing. And then you had other bands that were a little bit heavier and harder than we were, like the, you know, like Lincoln and 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 those kind of bands. And then all the labels that were supporting that and putting out music and at that point that's when you realized you can just put out your own record 
you know, and Braid's first record was my roommate put it out. Really? And then Polyvinyl repressed it, um, and that was the Rainstorm Mash 7-inch, and then we just were like, this is easy. We can do this ourselves. All you got to do is call the pressing plant and get some money together. Yeah. We can do the artwork. We can just go to Kinko's and run, <laughs> run off some stuff, you know? <laughs> And then I was doing a skateboarding zine at the time, and then uh, everybody, it's just like a whole different world. Everybody had a zine. Every town had a scene. Um, you just had to get a hold of the right people, and then they would put you in, like, it was phone numbers. It was like telephone, you know, you'd get a hold of somebody. Let me give you this other guy's number. He does the shows, you know. Or if he can't do it, his other friend can do a show because he, if he's out of town, you know, to make it happen. I have a very vivid memory of us uh, driving to a show in Boise, Idaho. This guy named Bug did shows there. His name is Jason. I am actually friended him on Facebook like 10 years ago. I'm like, oh, my God. And he was the guy that used to do our shows there in the back of his house or like in somebody's garage or, or whatever and I remember being late to that show driving and driving but still having to pull over every couple hours find a payphone to call him to say we're still on our way which is ironic because we're making ourselves even later by stopping by stopping to call him to tell him we're coming that is crazy and that whole time of touring I wouldn't trade it for anything but I just wish that you know you're a crotchety old dude and you're like band's got it good they got it good now i mean we're we're definitely uh pretty tech on tour we got a MiFi in the van you know we're updating all of our socials we got gps but back then it was a roadmap and a dialer and a handful of you know bob and chris told me about the dialer yeah and like little uh things that you can fool the toll booths with get get a little uh neko wafers those little candies yeah. used to work in toll booths and if you threw them in the right way, it's a total, like, stealing gas and things that we probably shouldn't have been doing, but things to get you to the next city. Yeah. You know? It's like you play a show and you make $18, and gas is 98 cents a gallon, so you fill up your tank, you got six bucks left. It's crazy. And then yeah. you sleep on somebody's floor, you know? You get a $2 per diem that day, and you try to eat. And we, get, we had a milk crate of food in the van. And we just, like, people would give us, like, dried pasta. You'd cook it at their house when you're sleeping that night. It's a totally different different thing. What do you like? Are there, are there things you like about it now when you're touring or miss? or? I miss I miss the house show community thing where you'd show up at a house. They, hey, we got this clean room for you guys to sleep in. Throw your bags in there. We're making food. And it's a donation at the door. Should be about 30 people here tonight. It's like, And everybody was, like, hanging out in the kitchen, drinking beers, eating food before the show. I miss that. You know, and it's different now because I don't really... I miss it, but I, I wouldn't want it to be that way. Yeah. Because we want to be comfortable and, you know... You're not going to sleep on a floor. Right, right, you know, so... But that, I do miss that. Like, I, I'm glad that we were able to experience that because it's a good memory. It's a good memory for us. The, um... I guess the... Were there any favorites that you had? Like, if you had to list out your top five records from back in the day, if it was, like, the Screamo Emo stuff, like, was there, like... Or even record, like, that... Just that era, the... I... I unfortunately... <laughs> Pre-Bleed pre American. <laughs> I... I... Our, we, we were friends with all those bands and definitely influenced by those records, but I think of personal... Yeah, yeah. ...records that influenced me, and they're more indie rock stuff. Uh, like what? The second Dinosaur Jr. record, You're Living All Over Me. Uh, I would say, I think it's 87, The Descendants All, the more medley one. Um, I like that one. Um, Eye Against Eye by Bad Brains, also a little metal. It's like 87, 88. 
um, Seems the Problem with Me, one of my favorite records. Uh, also, I was heavy into like the Tweed kind of stuff, like the K Records, Sarah Records, Teen, Pe- Teen Beat kind of stuff. A huge fan of Velocity Girl and Tiger Trap mm-hmm. and bands like that too. And we were all kind of into that stuff. And, you know, it, to me, it was like the same scene, just a different kind of music. And everybody had their little pockets, but those records were important to me and influenced us. I mean, Seaweed is like one of my favorite bands. I, I still listen to a lot of that stuff. And you always go back to what you like. And then, you know, there's this huge crossover of mainstream stuff that we all like, whether it's The Cure, you know, and, you know, more 80s-driven stuff and things that you have from your high school days that you're into, The Smiths and things like that. So what's the record everyone you can put on and everyone no one complains? I think, I don't know. I don't know. We're all pretty accepting. Like, we all listen to kind of whatever. And yeah. we're, we like to be turned on to new stuff. Yeah, I so heard this thing. Damon's like, yeah, hey, I got check this out or whatever. And then, But then you, then again, you can put on, um, you know, uh, Highway to Hell and everybody will be equally happy yeah. too. So. <laughs> what do you think of the emo revival, the sort of the bands coming from, you know, 2009, 2010 onward? I, I do like a lot of that stuff. I like that. Um, I like the, the, the kind of... I know it's not particularly emo, but like the whole Brooklyn Captured Tracks, uh, Mexican Summer kind of scene. I dig that stuff. I dig the stuff that Count Your Lucky Stars is doing and No Sleep and Top Shelf and all those labels are doing a really, really good job. That Annabelle band, they're fucking great. They're so good. I actually just missed them in in Milwaukee. Uh, I was out of town that day and I thought I was going to be able to go. Um, But the, the great, like, Great. We played with that band Marietta on the last tour, um, and they were awesome. And you know, a great big pile of leaves, and all those bands, and you know, all those bands are equally different too. They're not, even though they're kind of almost considered like new, the new generation of emo but it revival. Felt, but it felt it because each band was different, and that's how I like me getting into it in yeah. the '90s. Each band was different, totally. and they all you. But you felt the connections, yeah. and I felt the same. I got these like crazy flashbacks I'm like these kids are doing it again and if you took if you took all those <laughs> those records from that same era and you gave them to somebody that was not associated with the scene and you played them three totally different records they would have no idea how that was we can, like these do not sound the same yeah. how do these fit in the same scene but it did yeah and it's just I don't know if it's because of the networking the people involved the community that was involved in and I think that's a huge part of it you know, the people that put on fests or the people that did shows are the people that played in the bands. You know, and that's kind of how that era was, you know, done. Just the way it was done. Yeah, so I think it's a really fun time. And I think you guys signing to Top Shelf was a, an interesting sort of, you know, nod to yeah. get a, a remembrance from the, maybe the younger bands. Like, wait, Braid? I don't know who that is. Wait, oh, wait. Yeah. And then they sort of look back or it just seems like it goes both ways. Totally, totally. And we were, you know, that was... We were trying to find a way when we did No Coast, like, we want to put out this record. Matt would totally do it at Polyvonics, happy to do it. It's like, let's try to find a way to get it out there a little bit more. And Matt was stoked about it, but Kevin and Seth were really stoked. They were happy (laughs) because the bands that they were putting out, of course, um, their model was kind of taken from the scene that we came from so i think they were happy to 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 sign and you know uh you know i don't a retro band or i don't know what you would call us to the old the old guys you know or whatever but 
you know even though you know we're a little older I feel that the music that we're writing is relevant I feel that we're doing it for the exact same reasons we've always done it for and we're still having just as much fun so you know we'll do it as long as we can do it and have fun with it yeah so. and then are you thinking to well, what else is next like are you have you thought we talk we talk all the time you know we'll have a particularly really good show and we'll all be sitting around having a beer and like alright can't let's get to work on the next record and we talk about it more than we do anything about it you know but that's something that you know if it makes sense and we can do it and make it happen and put out a record if it's in three years or five years whatever even if we're writing music and we're not playing music like out we'll be always be playing music but whether we'll be doing any extensive touring is I mean this year I think we're playing less than 20 shows last year we played about the same mm -hmm. and we do it when we can do it but it's not really the music is a priority but getting it touring and, and playing the shows aren't as much of a priority because we have other things going on so and I think too, if we can do it we'll do it and I think re uh, recording you guys had such an amazing output of music not that it's all great because even but back that's in, okay but even back in the day people would be like oh my god oh Bob just promised two more comp songs <laughs> It's like, Bob, what are you doing? Don't let Bob talk to anybody. It's like, all right, we got to go to the basement, write a couple songs. So we'd go down and we'd come up with a, you know, somebody, Damon would have a drum beat or someone would have a part that we would develop into a song. And if we were happy enough with it, we'd call our friend and try to get it cheaply recorded and get it to the person that was going to put it out. You know, that was the, the, the work ethic. And I think we were pretty prolific for, for the time that we were a band. And I feel that even when we get together now, it's fairly easy for us. But it's just because we've been playing together for so long. You know, I don't want to start a new band with new dudes because it would be very difficult. Braid is easy. Like, we, the four of us, I know what Damon's going to do before he does it. So me locking in with him, that's a cakewalk for me. And then Chris and Bob and all of us, we just have a chemistry, and we can write a song. I mean, if you give us a, a time limit and a... We can, we'll churn something out. It may I not think, be great, but we'll get a good start on it. I think you guys, instead of... And I'm seeing this with other mediums like movies and TV. It's that if you guys get together, write a song and put it out. Right. You know, don't don't wait for the album. Just put it up. Put it yeah. up through. And that's uh, that was huge at the time of us. Early. Yeah, because it's, it's almost it's almost reverted back. Yeah, like look at the single, and and it's kind of funny. It has reverted back because you look at the way that the internet works. Someone writes a song, the next day they can put it online. Why wait two years and put out a 12-song online album when you can just... I mean, there's bands doing it all the time. There's bands that do a monthly song, you know. Uh, wasn't Evan from Into It Over It doing something like yeah. that where he was putting up a song every week or something yep. like that? It's crazy, but... Once again, thank you to Epitaph Records, our sponsor here on Washed Up Emo Podcast. Hope you're enjoying uh, episode with Todd Bell from Hey Mercedes and Brave. We've got a little bit more to go. And uh, thanks again, Epitaph. You make this possible. Stay now, city sister, as the world will end, you'll have your sweet revenge. I'm promising you'll feel better than, better ever planned, then we'll find them all. Sort of the, it has come full circle. Yeah, and it's um, I don't know. It just seems like 
you guys can keep. I, I want to see you when I'm 50. I want to see. Like, I feel like that's kind of the. If it feels right, keep well, going. I think we'll all always be traveling, whether it's as a band or just dudes, going to the places we love. We, we all have a super appreciation for playing music and doing what we do, whether we're doing it together or not. We have the utmost intentions to keep playing music. You know, I mean, we just released a brand new record only a year ago, you know? So that's nice for us because up until last year, some of the stuff we've been playing is crazy old for us. People want to hear it and they enjoy it and we like to play it, but it's also nice for us to have some, new, some newer stuff to slide into the set, you know? And then we just put out the new 7-inch, the record store day thing in the spring. We're playing uh, Kids Get Grids on this tour. Um... We've got a couple other things under our belt that we are thinking about doing in the near future. And then we'd like to continue to write. Chris has kind of got a makeshift studio at home, so that would be pretty easy for us to do. It's just getting everybody together. It's really hard. We don't write well over the internet. We're four dudes in a room. Gotta get down there. <laughs> you know, that's how we've always operated, and that's how we work best. Hashing it out together. You know, somebody comes in with an idea, whether it's Chris or Bob or whoever, and then we get together and it becomes something else and it becomes a Braid song. And it's us four, Braid, the sound of Braid is the four of us dudes playing in a room, you know, and that's how we write. So, hope to con continue to do that. You know, we're on, we got our Instagram, uh, Braid Official, we've got our Twitter, Braid Central, we've got our website, we're trying to play as much as we can. If anybody's connected to those things, they know we're going to be playing. Um... You know, we're just happy to, at this point in our band's career, just happy to be playing music and, and glad to be around. So, cool. Thanks for having us. Hello, Washed Up Emo fans. Thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years, or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. Also, reprinted volume one so you can order both. Check out the DIY publishing at anthologyofemo.com.